This is George Butler. Welcome back, Alan Watt. It's a pleasure. Boy, I tell you, that, that Charlotte, she's something else. She's, she gets with the program. She's just very, we're very active in the, um, the Ron Paul campaign. Yes. And so we, we went up to Philadelphia on the 10th of November and did a video of that. Uh-huh. And broadcast it live to millions. Yeah. The video actually reached in the hundreds, I think 739, and the audio went out to millions, um, across the nation. Yeah. But we were right there in, uh, Independence Mall. And it, and it was quite, quite interesting. Um, when, when, getting back to this education thing, our children can't even read. They've been, what, dumbed down with all the, the pharmaceuticals and the medicines that Ritalin, Ritalin. That's been a problem. Yeah, not only that. I mean, you, when you go into the history of education and see who pushed it to begin with, and again, it sounds so wonderful, we're going to give you education. But another term for education, and this is a legitimate term, it's called indoctrination. Yes, exactly. You see, and uh, uh, the, from Prussia, you had the schools come out of Prussia, and you had the Frankfurt School, uh, where Dewey and all these characters came out to go across the world. And they were sponsored by royal families and, and the nobilities of most countries to push a particular type of system in place to bring in the scientific indoctrination to make the public more obedient to their nation and to those that, that ran their nation. That was the, the initial purpose of education. And so you were taught to sing national anthems and, uh, and do rites, just like Masonic rites, and putting your hand to your heart is a Masonic rite. Um, the ancient Egyptians did that exact same gesture. Uh, so uh, you, you'll find that you're indoctrinated from birth to worship the system, even though you don't control it, you're born into it. Your parents didn't know to warn you, they believed in it too, and therefore you think it's all quite natural. Therefore, whatever your government does in the world is quite natural too. Uh, even if they're off conquering and, and creating empires, you think it's all quite natural, and you go along with it. So, so it, it it is a, what you're describing is what we were talking about earlier. Is that it's a virtual reality that they're calling reality? Then absolutely. Uh-huh. And and in and in this virtual reality, there are even more virtual realities created on top of that. It seems like absolutely. Well, you find even um, back in the 1800s in Britain, uh, they looked at the world. They looked at uh, the fact that where they had their ambitions for, for this dominant minority lay. And they knew eventually with the, with the rise of a middle class, because they had to create a middle class, an offshoot of the industrial era, to manage all the other people. And they knew eventually those middle class would demand more rights. And that's when they first heard the term called democracy coming in. First they, they called it uh, simply charters of rights. And then the Chartist March on London to demand rights for the first time. And uh, so they, they gave you a sham government called democracy uh, so that people would think they actually were free, but we never really were free at all. Participatory democracy, right? Yeah, <laughs> so they so led what, us to believe uh-huh. we were really doing something for ourselves. And it was manipulation on, boy, like the two parties in the United States. Yes. Yeah. And uh, the whole thing about representation uh, for taxation's purposes, in other words, if they're going to take money off you, you should have a say and what that money is used for. It's supposed to be used for the common good, but it never has been. At least very little of it has. And so, so you're given a, a fake sham democracy. However, they knew that within a hundred years of a fake democracy, uh, they, they would be uh, so far advanced scientifically 
They could bring in, they could actually do away with democracy and people would not complain about it if they could train the people that they had benevolent experts looking after them. And that has happened. Democracy has now been taken away. Um, the public don't mind so much. There's no riots in the streets as you lose right after right after right. And you see civil servant bureaucracies dictating down to the public. Um, and people are obeying and doing what they're told because they've been trained uh, that they're now run by a group of experts, experts who are somehow benevolent. This is the benevolent dictatorship uh, that Huxley and others talked about would come. I see. The the, uh, the callers can call in locally here in Austin area at 512-646-1984. Again, locally here in the Austin area, 512-646-1984. Use that if you have unlimited long distance. Otherwise, we have a toll-free number, 888-202-1984. Again, that toll-free number is 888-202-1984. Call in and ask uh, myself and Alan Watt uh, any questions that you might have. Uh, so so uh, it's like the Democrats and the Republicans, and we're pitched against each other, and they get we get to hate each other. We divide and conquer. We're divided and conquered, hustled and... And with uh-huh. ideas and encrypted language that that has secret meanings, right? To the yes. to the uh, except for the profane, we don't even know that. Well, you know, in the U.S., they, at least they tried to separate the powers of government by having different departments that could not overstep or overreach their own uh, jurisdiction. But since uh, the 19 really World War II, it started really with Lincoln. And the Civil War, he altered some of, of uh, uh, all of uh, those rights and rules, and that was backed up at World War Two. And then, when Nixon was in, he created or signed into being uh, the Department of FEMA, which now has blossomed into Homeland Security. And so, you have different departments, and executive included, uh, that are simply going ahead and doing their own thing, un- unimpeded by the other departments that are supposed to hold them in check. Well, this was all planned this way, and step by step, every administration, Carter did the same. He put further laws in, into that uh, FEMA Act, and and now you, you find that you're run by what they claim is a bureaucratic expert elite, and you don't have a, the public have no say. They've been pushed out of the picture completely. You have um, uh, Professor Carl Quigley, who really were, let a, the cat out of the bag. He said, in Tragedy and Hope, uh, and the Anglo-American establishment, he said uh, there, there is and has been for 50 to 60 years um, a parallel government running America. And he, he says, I am, I've been the historian for this group, and that was the Council on Foreign Relations, uh, which is only the American part or branch of the Royal Institute for International Affairs. This is the super body that plans your future. Uh, they interrelate with all the other think tanks, Bilderbergers and so on, Trilateral Commission, and right down to your food supply for the future. They have think tanks on everything in that group. They run the media. Most high-profile journalists are members of it. They and, filled uh, all the, what, the State Department? for, And there's all kinds of broadcasters and military people in there now. Absolutely. So, so they bypassed what you thought was a, a democratic republic. And what they said, as I say, going back to the other think tank, part of the same structure, uh, which was the Club of Rome, uh, they said uh, that they favored the collectivist society, but they don't, they'd have to bypass the Constitution to do it. So they just, And this was also put into a, a magazine, the Council on Foreign Relations, a magazine, that's the name of it, 
foreign affairs, maybe foreign affairs. Foreign affairs. And uh, they said they would have to, rather than knock down the Constitution, they would just bypass it as though it was a rock in the middle. They would end run around the Constitution. Uh, they didn't yeah. want to, that to impede their their uh, their drive for power. Have you done any work on the Aspen Institute of Humanistic Studies? Oh, yeah, I've sectioned that, too, and that's all a big part of it as well. It's more international than I saw, see, you know, the, the, the membership is. It is, and it's also linked to the United Nations. Now, the big trick has been for the last uh, 50 years is to point out, as they know grassroots movements will, they'll point out the defects in the system we're living in and where it's going. And so they give us leaders to come forward who start up groups, we follow them, and then they always give their power over to the United Nations, which was always the plan in the end, eventually, is to give power to the United Nations and make them the super government. The, the uh, Aspen, that, that's an interesting deal. The Aspen mm-hmm. um, helped bring us the PBS system, yes, public mm-hmm. broadcast. It started out as an educational broadcast network, and mm-hmm. then Aspen came in there two or three years after that it started and did a tremendous paper and a tremendous lobbying effort to convert that into public broadcast system. That's now, right, now, and that's I, where most of the indoctrination on wildlife and so on, exactly. and all the little rules that come down with the Earth Charter and, and the rights of animals compared to humans, is and, all and, coming and, from that. Well, it's, it looks like it, it boils down or, or is divided into to humanistic, uh, uh, you know what I mean, views like yeah. scientific, secular, right. and religious humanism. Mm-hmm. And there's mixtures in there of their programming, now, not that some of their programming aren't, aren't really informative. They are, I guess, huh? The, everything, they always get a hook in, the things you must identify with, and then they go on a roll, and that's when they, they start introducing ideas that you will eventually adopt as your own. You adopt your, most people adopt their opinions. They, they never have them of their own. They adopt them from experts, and they'll actually fight for them even once they've adopted them. But uh, it's come, it comes through all this indoctrination that always starts with a, a what if or here's how it is and here's what may happen or generally they'll say what will happen if we do not do this, this and this. And they give you no other uh, alternatives and you go along with the conclusion. It's a technique that's used uh, mainly through these kind of educational programs. Well, or what I, I see it as a delusional mode of existence that we exist in because we're not fully aware of some of the things that you're broaching today with us. Generations have lived, died, fought wars and everything, gone through depressions and, and economic turmoil, and never known a single clue that there was anything strange in the system. In which exactly. That's my feelings. And I see people and I meet people and I try to, you know, uh, you know, awaken them, but sometimes they'll just die in that state of delusion yeah. and ignorance. I mean, some people are so fixated in with with authority, the authoritarian personality type, yeah. you know, that, yeah. that that accepts anything that authority says is truth, right? Mm-hmm. It's a sadomasochistic uh, system. You, if you understand psychopathy, the ones at the top, remember, gained power a long, long time ago by by a feudal system where they fought each other to gain gain dominance, and once they, they obtained the status of being the leaders of nations, they then had to use techniques to keep the people pretty stupid, in fact, by giving them this culture, this new culture. But they also gave us the psychopathic culture. This is not a humane system in which we live. It's anti-human. Yes, it's I, dog I, I dog agree. society of winners and losers, and they show you a pyramid and they tell you, they train you at school to, to compete they train you in races, and that's what sports is all about, too. 
and and the guy who gets the the hundred percent on, on his exam gets a little gold star, and he gets to go up the ladder. Now, there's only one seat generally at the top of a corporation. That means only one person can fill it, but but, but thousands, maybe millions, will apply. So it's not a humane system. And those who get to the top do it through cunning by being utterly ruthless, and therefore only the psychopaths can get to the top in this particular system that they have given us. Roy Masters used to always say, and I found this very, very insightful, he said that uh, that these people used to be inmates in the asylum, uh-huh. and then gradually they've taken over and they're, they're running the asylum. In ancient time, they called them the deviant creation. Yes. Uh, these were the ones who would steal, because everybody had their grain in the common grain supply for the, for the people, especially in the colder climates. And these are the guys who would break in and, and feed themselves and eventually get thrown in the peat bogs. That was the punishment at, at that time. Uh, but uh, once the money system came in, they caught on quickly how to use the con system of money and uh, it became the rulers, uh, ultimately. And in other words, it's that to... extra edge that they developed to, to get ahead of other people. A crooked an, edge, an insight, uh, yeah, a hustle or whatever. Instinct, it's an instinct, but it's also sadomasochistic. If you look at the ones uh, who followed Hitler, uh, as a one example, it's the same with Lenin and everyone else. The followers of power, uh, and you can see the same with politicians. It's well known that most politicians towards the top are all are psychopathic personalities. Look at their histories. Uh, every psychiatrist knows this. And um, uh, you, you look at, at um, how they get to the top, by hook and by crook, but, but at Adolf Hitler's followers uh, worshipped Adolf Hitler right through the whole Nuremberg trial because the ones who are lower down on the totem pole but still psychopathic, they despise the weak beneath them at every rank, but they, they, they worship the man above them who has more power than themselves. That's the psychopath. So it's a sadomasochistic system. Yeah, we've got a caller. Uh, let me go to this call. Kay from California, what's your uh, question for, for Alan Watt? Uh, well, hi. First, uh, first, I just wanted to uh, thank you both very much for bringing all this information to us. Um, but I had a question, which is uh, actually a couple. Uh, one is, you, you, we talk about they and them and, and the uh, Freemasons, et cetera, et cetera. Who are we really talking about? Is that like the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers? Or is, is that who we're really talking about? What you're talking about is, is a conglomerate of these families and royal families that have existed for thousands of years. So money, uh, royalty, uh, the, the thousands of, of family members within royalty too, all their members, uh, the ones who control power, money, and nations, the institutions of government uh, and nations uh, who got together a long time ago with that system and and give us our culture and give us our, our, our commercialized system. They own the commercialized system that we are all trained to compete within. Uh, so it's all of that. They also created Freemasonry for the lower ranks within people, family members and everything, who, who promised and to take all to, to, to protect this particular system. So it's all, even the lower Masons are keeping the same system going. Your police are all members of the fraternity of police. That's the brotherhood of police. Uh, as a Freemasonic uh, organization, every cop is advised to join Freemasonry. It's a parallel system that, that, that runs uh, beside religions. It is the main religion that runs the world, actually. 
and it was all up the structure, and it's authorized by royalty at the top to exist uh, by the charter, a royal charter. You're looking okay. at a pyramid of power, really. Okay, so are you talking about, like, thousands of people that run the, the world, or yeah. hundreds? Yeah, they, they admit themselves only 3% of, this is in general books and universities, only less than 3% of the, of, uh, the people of the world rule the world. Okay, do you want to hold on uh, uh, through the break and come back and, and, and ask another question? Sure, yes. Okay, we're going to take a break here, Alan and Kay, and we're going to be back in, in, in just a little while, okay? Just hang in there, and we'll be right back. Online and on demand. This is We the People Radio Network. Welcome back to World Review Commentary. I'm your host, George Butler. Welcome back, Alan Watt. It's a pleasure. And we have Kay from California. Wanted to make just a real quick uh, comment here and then turn it back to Alan Watt, Kay. Um, When you ask who are these people, it's if I look at it as a network of individuals who dominate certain institutions, and their affiliations and memberships are not known publicly, but they communicate over a network system. So uh, I'll turn it back to Alan and and, uh, and Kay. Yeah. Kay, you have another question? Well, I did, um, and it's this. Where do you see this all going, and, and what can we do about it? And, and I know I have one other thing to add. Do you think... Uh, the American Revolution was most probably um, done in an attempt to get away from this system, to try to set up something that would be a safeguard for future generations. Hello? Alan, what do you think about that? Yeah, well, I have no doubt at all. Again, they had meetings before the revolution in Europe, Remember, Europe had been plagued with, with wars as the top families uh, battled each other for, for dominance. And they realized eventually the time was coming uh, that, that um, the old type wars would not work so well because it was so destructive, because uh, of weaponry was getting better and so on. But they needed a, a knight in shining armor. And they had the concert of Europe at different international meetings and they realized that if Britain was to take the lead and bring on this world uh, government systems, the standardization of the world based on the British system, which is exactly what it is, um, no one would fall for it. They knew that, that, the, that the Londoners, those who run London, controlled the whole empire and kept all the loot to themselves. They plundered every country. So they couldn't suddenly make Britain into a knight in shining armor that was going to bring democracy and freedom to people Nobody would believe it. They couldn't use France. They couldn't use Spain. They couldn't use um, all the other countries in Europe. So they had to create a fresh one. And uh, so they created their own, what appeared to be their own enemy. Uh, they said all the right things, did all the right things, and appeared to be a brand new system with no real history of tyranny to speak of uh, that would lead the world into it for them. And we know this is true because, again, Professor Carl Quigley and the Anglo-American establishment Remember, he was an advisor to top, um, to your State Department and diplomats and so on, and presidents as well. Uh, he wasn't simply a historian. Um, 
and he picked the top road scholars, and I think there's over 200 of them at the moment still in your high-level bureaucracy in the U.S., uh, working towards global government. Uh, but he said that um, uh, Britain had passed the torch on to America as a police, to be the policemen of the world. They would have to finance the last lap of standardization of the world to bring in a common system because they would not tolerate any other competing system or religion or culture. It would all have to be the same economic system, the same education, standardization across the world. That was the, the job of the United States. And he wrote that book in the 1960s, just before he died. Uh, Macmillan uh, eventually published, or, or one group, Macmillan bought it over and broke the plates. They didn't want any more published, but you can still get holes of the copies. I see. So we got our independence, and then it was taken away again. Well, Franklin, Franklin was a great guy who, who talked in doublespeak. Um, the public heard one thing, but he meant the other often. Uh, that's the way they say things. And when he, he was asked when they came out of the, of the convention hall, he said, what, he was asked, what kind of, uh, of government do we have? Now, remember that there's a bunch of the top landowners who went in there. They were all Masons. Franklin talked about that himself. And if you look at all the portraits they did of them, you look at the little rising sun in the picture behind Washington and the throne that, that Washington sits on. Um, Franklin says, he says, we've given you a republic if you can keep it with a smile on his face. So what I what I see, Alan and, and Kay, is this in, in a nutshell. This I'll put my two cents in. Okay, uh -huh. is is that the Constitutional Convention was not a planned convention? They only had authority to revise the the Articles of Confederation. I don't know if you knew that, Kay. Yeah. So it was not that, and they, it was held in 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 private. Okay. Mm -hmm. yep. It was held in secrecy. Okay. What eventually happened, there were different plans that, that were being broached and put forward, like uh, Alexander Hamilton wanted a monarchical system, a monarch. Mm -hmm. And and I think what finally won out was something along the lines of the Virginia plan, which George Mason and uh, put forward. Now, Thomas Jefferson was in France at the time during the Constitutional Convention. Uh, he was not president, but his, his right-hand man or his man that thought like he did, who had borrowed 20 of his books, by the way, before the convention was held, was George Mason. And so they adopted something along the lines of the Virginia plan, and it wasn't planned out that uh, that there would be as good a government, I think, and divided as as it finally uh, ended up. But then, like Franklin said, it can, if you can keep it. Now, what, what's happened is that there have been powers that have acted in concert to destroy this country and take away that republic from us. That's what I see. It's happened, and... And not only that, um, remember when they held even the first convention, uh, it was a Masonic convention, um, the public were not allowed in to the halls, the windows were pulled because, because the, the Masonic temple is the temple with no windows, so that they never uh, have windows uh, where you can see through. Um, they, they closed all the blinds and so on. They had guards on the door so the public couldn't get in. And it was only an afterthought because of demands that they got a Bill of Rights. However... The odd thing is, and this is the key to it all, uh, you'll find the Founding Fathers said we looked at all the previous systems of, of government that had existed, and they picked that of Rome, ancient Rome. And that's what they based it on. Now, Rome, remember, was an empire. <laughs> Rome was an empire, and that's why Franklin said this, could, this was a combination of states, 
a federation that he hoped would become a world federation under a, a government run by 12 wise men. That was always their plan. And the United Nations, remember, through Wilson, although he was only acting on behalf of Lord Grey, Earl Grey and uh, Mandel House, uh, Wilson put forth at the beginning of this world government and they called it the League of Nations at the time which became the United Nations so this is the agenda, it's always been there the they Bra- called it Manifest Destiny Yeah, the Brahmin family out of Boston were doing the British East India Company trading but right. also the Bank of England was always in place during the American Revolution always, yeah so Kay, yeah. that's something to remember The follow the money, the Bank of England was always there, see and, and if you if you talk about uh, Brown Brothers Harriman Company, the Brown Brothers Company started in Philadelphia. I don't know if you know that. No. Yeah, the, if you do go research this out. And the Brown Brothers were actually uh, started. They started their deal in Philadelphia. They went into bankruptcy, and who bailed them out was the Bank of England. Yeah. So when Brown Brothers merged with the Harriman Company, making Brown Brothers Harriman, they they were totally owned and controlled and dominated by the Crown. I that's see. that's the connections that that not many people are aware of. No, I thought, if, if you look I thought along, that we were financed by France and Spain. Well, see, France, France was used. Yes, France, part, France was used, uh, and and Franklin initially was over there as ambassador for 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 a long time, uh, and he did live like a king. He was getting you know two thousand crates of wine per six months, and they had a big team of horses, servants, and all that. It's well documented in France. But uh, uh, that's, that helped, actually, to, to bankrupt France, uh, which brought on the French Revolution. So every country was used as they were... It's, it's, like, a, it's like dominoes. It's beautiful. It's very clever. Well, so the point were, I was trying to make, yeah, yeah, Alan, on this, on this uh, Bank of England connection, was that the, English, the British could have come back in with many more troops and finally oh, subdued yeah. America uh-huh. and, and yeah. you know... And vanquished our victory, our so-called victory, but they decided to rule us through a money system, and that's what oh, they continued simple. on. Simple. See? And, and we know that they, sent, uh, they set up Kuhn Loban Company too, exactly. And Rothschild sent uh, one of his own child with a different name over, who ended up running it. And then the Warburgs came in uh, in World War One, just before World War One. One became the head of the American uh, banking system. Well, but Alexander was, Hamilton would be a key to the early history on this, Kay. And uh, if you look at him, he was the, he set up the, some of the first national banks in the country, the United States. Yeah. And those were tied back to the Bank of England, basically. It's creating debt and making interest out of the deal. But, uh, Kay, thank you for your call. We appreciate you calling. Thank you. Thank you, man. Alan, we'll be right back. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Welcome back to World Review Commentary. Welcome back, Alan Watt. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Are we are we making some points here? Or are we getting some uh, insights uh, generated here? You, you sound like you're really doing some good with, with some of these callers. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. I mean, if you look at the history of Hamilton, remember too, they, some of them talked about getting a monarchy in before before they decided on a president. And Hamilton was really for monarchy, and he did make some good points too. We've got to look at the other side of things now and never throw anything out and listen to what they say. And he did say uh, that, uh, is it better to have a monarchy and maybe a few dozen of their families uh, soaking, in other words, sponging off the rest of the public, uh, uh, or 
or, or have a massive government and bureaucracy and you'll have thousands of bureaucrats and their families soaking off the public. You made a good point there. And this was all debated at the time as well. But Hamilton uh, believed in the right of might. Uh, his heroes, and, and Jefferson talked about it because he invited Hamilton to his home. And every, every picture or drawing uh, that Hamilton stopped at was one of what we would call a tyrant, ancient Alexander the Great, um, Caligula, all, all the big characters of Rome. And, and, and Jefferson says, why do you pick these ones? He says, I admire these people because they used power and they used might and force to get what they wanted. He thought that was the natural order of things. And whereas Jefferson, he had other people and philosophers as his heroes. So there was a, a battle even there on, on how the United States should run. Um, but they did model it after ancient Rome, pre-Catholic pre, uh, Rome. And um, Rome, remember, had a Senate. That's why you have a Senate there. Senate comes from Egypt because Senate, uh, a Senate came, came from the Egyptian word for a chessboard. And that's why it's really a Masonic system. And they often have a, a checkered floor in Senate rooms. It's, it's a copy of the House of Lords in Britain. It's an identical system. You know, and, a, a, an important point you make is this. Alexander Hamilton versus Thomas Jefferson. Thomas mm -hmm. Jefferson was an anti-federalist. Alexander Hamilton was a federalist. Yep. So that that is the two divergent opinions there. And the anti-federalists forced upon the rest are are were were the ones that are are responsible for our Bill of Rights. Yeah, and Jefferson also knew that if you brought in a, a, a federalist system, that within one generation, and he said this, you'll have the offspring of the ruling uh, majority in the House, in Congress, uh, with their children. Their children will take over. You'll have hereditary rule, like Britain already had. And he tried to avoid that. He said that was the biggest problem. And they tried to make laws to stop it. And sure enough, Washington tried to get a, a cousin or a nephew in. Um, other members did get their offspring into it. Benjamin Franklin tried to get his son Temple in a, a position in government. So they're already trying the same system as Britain because money and power corrupts, and, and that's what Jefferson knew. And, and they're going to favor their offspring and try to get them ahead of the, of the others, right? Yes, and you have had hereditary dynasties being re-elected over and over in, in the United States for a long time. So, yeah, we, we see a power elite there, that uh, elitist, uh, however you want to describe them uh, the, over the ages, in all of these different civilizations and cultures, right? Absolutely. Um, and all you're left with now are uh, competing politicians at the bottom. And Carl Quigley again mentioned that. He said, we always control and groom. They groom the leaders of, at the top of both parties so that they always belong to the Council on Foreign Relations for this world agenda. He says the lesser politicians are allowed some competition between each other to get up the ladder, basically. But... All you're left with now is, is a, which bunch of, of multi-millionaire uh, lawyers do you want to vote for? The bunch over this side or the bunch over that side? That's how. That's what it is. Well, now, when we, when we get back and we're talking about this encrypted language and this delusional state and all that, but are they not, even the people at the uh, top, aren't they deluded by their own glorification? Uh, it's not hard to be if you realize that you are held in esteem wherever you yes, go. Yes, yes. 
And people do bow down to your grovel, literally do. They grovel before your feed wanting something from you because you've got yeah. billions, right? Isn't that it? That, that, that's it. And you command power. However, the real power, and this again was uh, exemplified by Quigley and others, uh, but they were talking about the more strong types of this world, um, the guys that, who run the big foundations, uh, who leave politics or go back in and out of politics as advisors. They're not elected. They're called technocrats. That's the term they use. And they come in like Kissinger, the Kissinger type. It says these guys uh, control the real power and they're not responsible to the public. Therefore, they can get the job done because democracy is too slow and cumbersome, too many arguments, too divergent sides all conflicting with each other. Therefore, this agenda has to be steamrolled ahead by the use of technocrats. And that's what we've seen for almost 100 years. So you see these te you have these technocrats willing and dealing with the lobbyists and other interests. And they're all and talking. Heavily financed. Heavily yeah. financed. Yeah. yeah, heavily financed. Of course, financial thing is at the top of this capstone, I guess. Is Absolutely. that what you see? Yeah. Yeah, they couldn't get along with H.G. Wells, who was one of the official propagandists for this agenda, working for the Royal Institute for International Affairs. Uh, he said, once the League of Nations was formed, he said uh, that now bureaucrats, bureaucratic departments, can be specialized and they can go and meet their fellow counterparts in other countries and at the League of Nations and bypass the political side altogether. So he says the, pol the political side is almost obsolete. It's a show for the public. And he was quite correct in that. But uh, uh, he went through a lot of this agenda. He was a main propagandist for it, for world government run on a British system of standardization. And if you go back further in history, uh, John Stuart Mill, that was the main economist uh, for the British Empire system, and his son who took over, all also by the same name, they wrote books on this coming world system. It would all be based on economics. The value of an individual will be the value to the state. They will decide how valuable... These resources called individuals, right? Chattel, yeah. chattel uh, properties, right? That's right. And eventually you would not be allowed to be born unless they had uh, a function for you to serve. And that's the key word to keep using in the Council on Foreign Relations to serve the world state, serve the state. Total quality management. <laughs> uh -huh. We are a renewable resource. Yeah, we're a renewable resource. You just go <laughs> pop them out again, right? That's right. Uh -huh. yeah. Golly, I, t I tell you. But, you know, there are people like yourself, and I'm working a little bit in this area now, and uh, we're going to make a difference, uh, you know, but mainly we can make a difference in our own lives. Is that is that way you see it sometimes? There's no doubt. You're making your own life first. You understand yourself, uh, first of all, and then you you that will make you wake up even quicker when you understand yourself. That's the key to everything. Know thyself. So, yeah. you know, the way I, I see it is that, you know, you have this Maslow, you know, Abraham Maslow says self-realization and all that stuff. That's not really knowing yourself. But what uh, no. you're talking about is really knowing thyself, isn't it? Absolutely. And that also means being willing. I usually say the ter use the term, if you're after truth, and that means complete honesty with yourself, first of all. That's hard for most folk to do. You have to be willing to jump out of a plane without a parachute and free fall. Because truth has no, you cannot make conditions on truth, and you might not like a lot of it. I say but, but truth has no politics. <laughs> no politics at all. Uh, what, what I say, I, I arranged it in the things in my own mind. Years ago, I used to write about these things. Know thyself, know thy thoughts, and know thy world. Yes. And See that, what and I mean? Again, 
It's and, all hard, you know. And, and know thy thoughts is beginning to be able to to see your thoughts and how they're controlling how you've been programmed, like you're talking about. Absolutely. And then know thy world is all this these institutional systems that are that are that are delusionally based that are you know contriving to 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 subjugate us to a system of of slavery. Yes, the British system, which was talked about by John Dee in the 1500s, the Queen Elizabeth I court, he coined the term the British Empire. And he said we should create a British Empire, as he told the Queen, based on a system, based on what would appear to be a system of free trade. And he said those countries who will accept the conditions will adopt the same system as Britain. And they would be given a term that's called most favored trading nation status. That's the term that's used in the United Nations today for those countries who join it. Uh, so it's 500 years old, this particular agenda. And they knew then, uh, even when they were setting up what they called the colonies in America, because they, they could see the vast resources, uh, that that would be the, the, the country that would eventually supply the men, the arms, and the taxation necessary to bring the whole world to its knees. The world army, That's right? Huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we're, we're creating this neocon imperial type of uh, dynamic. But people yeah. are resisting that. Yeah, and, and they, they knew it would come, because remember, they planned the future ahead of time. Yeah. Think tanks are paid, in, paid incredible amounts of money, and each think tank is specialized in its area. They foresee the problems and the reactions, and they work it out in advance. We're going to be taking a break here, and they'll come back for our last segment, and we'll conclude it then. Thank you very much for, for being with us today. You're, you're really imparting a great wisdom to us. Appreciate it, Alan. See you right yep. back. Listening to We the People Radio Network. Welcome back to World Review Commentary. I'm your host, George Butler. Welcome back, Alan Watt. It's a pleasure to be here. Are, are we talking about enlightenment? Is that is that what you're you're teaching? Trying to teach people to become more enlightened. Yes, uh, you, you cannot be complete in any respect at all until you've gone through uh, what is real, re- real reality. And the only way you can find it is first within yourself and discard all of your, the, the training and indoctrination you've had yourself and start thinking for yourself and, and literally looking at the world with new eyes for the first time. And it's all to do with perceptions, as I say, uh, when you understand what's around you, things you take for granted, even the police force stopping you on the road and demanding, you know, you pay money and all that, uh, it's just extortion. It's all how you've been trained to, to per- misperceive uh, highway robbery, <laughs> uh, things like that. Um, we, we're taught to perceive things in a completely different way, which suits the aims of the, the ruling elite. And... Um, uh, that's the key to it. The, the trick in all ages, and the pharaoh used to be taught this in Egypt, the trick of the pharaoh for rulership's purposes was to convince the sheep. And remember, the pharaoh was called the good shepherd. He was, his trick was to convince the sheep that their interests and the pharaohs lay in the same direction. That's the first trick. 
and to and get, sure enough, to get the know, sheep's consent, then yes, to trick them into consenting to their rule, it's to the rule and their ambitions. So they go off to war, they fight something, because the fear will say those guys are going to threaten you and invade you, and and so the sheep become terrified. When that is said, they cling closer to the pharaoh. The pharaoh can actually tax you all the more. You don't mind it because he's going to save you. And then you go and fight for the pharaoh because he's convinced you uh, that this is a different... The the perception of the reality of this war and its purposes has been distorted in your mind. You think it's for your benefit and that it's going to save you if you go off and fight them. Every war is an economic war, and Karl Marx went through that, and he was trained by the bankers. He was financed by the the bankers, who were the experts, even in his day, of economics. They were the experts. That's why H.G. Wells said this upcoming world system that we are creating have brought all the big bankers on board, the international moneylenders, because they know the science of economics. That includes population control, all of those things. They factor wars into it, upcoming wars. How many might get killed off? Will will there be enough to pay off the debt? That's what economists do. And so they brought the bankers on board into this ruling elite. And as I say, it's a pyramidal structure with the dominant minority at the top. That's the term used by um, um, Aldo Huxley in his speeches at Berkeley. You can find it on my site, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, and download the audio. And he said there's always been a a, a dominant minority who rule. And I, I don't see any reason why there should not always be a dominant minority. And he also said with a scientifically run dictatorship of the mind, a complete, total... A takeover of the mind. He didn't see why a scientific dictatorship could not last forever. So, so it goes back to Plato, even and before Plato. Yes, Plato studied in Egypt. All of the Greek uh, aristocracy went to Egypt for their higher education, and uh, everything that came out of Egypt, even Pythagoras, uh, who studied uh, in Egypt, they were sent back to their homeland or to other Greek colonies. The Greek had an emperor at that time. Um, Pythagoras was sent off to Crotona, which is part of modern Italy, and uh, which became Italy. And he set up uh, a monastery long, long before Christianity, with uh, five years of silence for the novitiates, and um, and they became revolutionaries. So Egypt literally was training in its own day uh, revolutionaries to go out into the world to recruit young members of aristocracy to cause revolutions and overthrow their own systems at that time. Uh, Britain used that all through its imperial years. They trained uh, diplomats to go off and uh, provocateurs to go off into countries, start rebellions, and then Britain would come in as the saviors once they had everyone fighting each other. Very old technique. These are all sciences that are archived. The public don't get access to them. But those in the higher members of the society or aristocracy are taught these sciences. It's never, these have never been lost. So these are passed down and held as the secret system of rule, of hidden rule. Yes. Everything is a formula. And again, Plato, going back to mathematics, he would use mathematics as a, a, a good um, example. Uh, so you have rules within mathematics that always come up the same if you go along with a certain formula. And it's the same with logic and humanity. Uh, when you have a sequence of events that are introduced in the proper sequence, uh, then the public will always respond in the same manner. 
science is using the same terms today in generalized science and psychology and so on, and, and behaviorism. And these are well understood. So they're all formulas, and we always respond the same way. As long as the formula isn't changed, it's introduced step by step in the same sequence, we will always respond in the same manner. So, so they've got human nature down pat. Yeah. So, and, and they're, they're using that to, to formulate uh, certain uh, uh, stimuli. In other words, they stimulate us with something. They'll, they have predictability, a predictable uh, uh-huh. future then. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And we always respond the same way to the same sequences of events. The formula is, lo- and uh, uh, that's just the way it is. It's, it's been perfected, well proven, uh, tested over and over and over again. And uh, it's, it's pretty well fail safe for them. That's why they're so good for wars. Um, you can abuse the public to almost the step of revolution. But as soon as you say, oh, those guys over there are going to, to kill us off. Uh, that enemy over the water, uh, the people who are being abused turn to that government and say, protect us. And then, then they tax you to, uh, into the ground. Uh, they, they take all the money. They build up complex military-industrial complexes, uh, which end up chaining you, enslaving you. And we see that with technology today. It's all from the military-industrial complex, all built up during the Cold War and all the taxation because no one wanted to complain about the high taxation because, after all, your government was trying to save you. That's all a big lie to get a future agenda of totalitarian control in a world where everyone must be predictable. That's why it's the total information network. That means all information about every individual on this planet will be known on a daily basis, everything that you're doing. And only then will they feel safe at the top. And even then they want to chip you. Total information network. Yeah. And then they want to chip you to, to follow you around so you're not ever a, a threat to their power system. And already, and I've been seeing this for years, the chip for the brain is ready. They've had world meetings about it. They've published their reports on it. Uh, they've got stuff in cartoons now to try and encourage young children to expect it and want it. It'll give them, they'll think it'll give them superpowers like they're cartoon heroes. And it's already they go and they had the meetings, the first meetings at Loyola University in Louisiana in, in 2000, and then they've followed up by the three or four meetings since. Newt Gingrich was retired into heading that position over that part of it. They say the chip is ready to go. And once it's inserted, when they can convince the public of the necessity of accepting this, uh, then it'll be the end of individuality. And then they will feel safe at the top. The, the ordinary person will be unable to perceive of themselves as a distinct individual. Individualism, according to the United Nations, is the number one enemy. So, so it is scientific, and it's gotten worse. Yes. And and these systems of of uh, control and are, are becoming uh, draconian, and, and and these people are are truly psychopaths. They are. Uh-huh. They're, they're out of their minds. There's yeah. no other way, but you know, I, I was I was trying to explain this to a friend of mine one time. There's no one word to describe these people. There's not. You can't relate. I mean, to you them. can't. You can't. I mean, there's not one word to to wholly to totally describe what's going no. on. Psychopaths, not enough. No, and, and diabolical isn't enough either. No, and evil and wicked. I mean, those are just a few of the terms to, in addition to psychopath, because these these people are crazy. They're crazy, and yet they're confident. They're cunning. They're the, the best scientists to work yes. this agenda into existence. And yet, here's, here's the Achilles heel to all of their system. The Achilles, the Achilles heel is they need the general population's compliance with every step they make. 
So they can't deal with a rebellious public. They have to cajole them and mind wash them into consent. Well, how many people to can you actually put in jail if, if even one tenth of the people says, that's it, I'm not obeying your rules anymore? How many people, how long would it go before there was just too many people and too few cops or too few militaries? Is that what those polls are used for, those public polls, yes. to, to get yeah. the sentiment of the public so that yeah. their management... Uh-huh. Do, now, do you think on 9-11 they went too far on that? Oh, no, they planned 9-11. Uh, they, they wrote about it in advance. But do you think they exceeded... Uh, I mean, they made it too transparent, too obvious some, about what no, was going I, on? No, I think they were pretty well confident that they had the public on a roll. And this is, again, going back to Bertrand Russell and others and Huxley, uh, who said that if they can, they can gorge the public in a hedonistic lifestyle for one generation by giving them unlimited credit and credit cards and all the rest of it, and an unlimited supply of goods they could buy, they will basically ignore what's happening around them and live in that little fantasy for a while, while they're making the moves. But it seems like to me that 9-11, they went too far into, it's too obvious some of the some of the things they tried to pull off and, and trying to sell the public. Yeah, but they just come back and try and, try and bring it in another way if, if it seems too harsh, which they do. Alan Watt, thank you very much for your interview today, and and we really reached a lot of people out there today, and I appreciate your insight and your your work uh, in in attaining truth here. Well, thanks for having me on. And thank you very much. You have a good one. You too. Bye-bye.